0: You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turned to Exodus. Exodus chapter 40 as we conclude our series, God Redeems. Uh, This has been an amazing book. I'm with you. I've never taught through the entire study, especially a deep dive of the tabernacle and that second half of Exodus. And tonight we're going to conclude. And as you turn to Exodus chapter 40, I just want to read a verse for you. It's found in Psalm 119, a verse that hopefully you can say amen to and see in our church as we value speaking the word of life to you and teaching you God's word. David said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I hope you know at Redemption Church, we love God's Word. Uh, we love applying it, studying it, meditating on it, learning from it, speaking it, applying it to our hearts, to our lives, that this, is, this has been a great study of the book of Exodus and it's so rich because it points us to the person of Jesus, like all of Scripture does. And so today will be message 58. Of Exodus that's right man we should have done I listen I could have done more I could have done more to tell you the truth That's all I'm saying but I know that because I counted but it hasn't just been me because here at Redemption Church we don't want just a preacher but the preaching of God's Word and so we've had Pastor Robin share messages We've had uh, our church planner that we supported and sent out, Pastor Wilshare, Will Torres. We've had Pastor Pilgrim Benham, Pastor Esteban Valenzuela from Spain as well, another church planner we support and coach and do things doing God's Word and teaching us uh, because, man, it is just so rich. And I hope that you know, as we've been studying, going verse by verse and this expository teaching that you can see how rich God's Word is for your life. That you can love the Lord your God and know his law and meditate it all day long. It's that good. Psalmist would say, I meditate on word. It's day and night. It's that rich that we can actually take this much time to actually go to God's word and have him speak. And hasn't he been faithful? He'll always be faithful to his word. You know, we believe in God's word, how it's vital to our lives. Romans 15.4, it actually says that for whatever things are written in our former days, were written for our instruction. A lot of people don't even believe or want to study the Old Testament, but it is canon, it is scripture, and it says, the text says in the New Testament, this scripture is for us to endure that through encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. I hope that your faith has been built. I hope that you have some uh, hope in your heart to see that God is sovereign, that he is moving, that he wrote these things for a purpose to encourage you, and he is a God that is Emmanuel with us. We love God's word here. And our God has spoken to us through Scripture, and it's been so good and learning so many wise things from his word. We need to be like 2 Timothy 2.15 to study the word of God, to show ourselves approved because we love the Lord, and he esteems his word. I want to read from you a little bit of our statement of faith as a church. I know a lot of people don't even read these things, but this is what we say about the Bible. We believe the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the verbally inspired word of God, the final authority for our faith and life, inerrant and infallible and God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16-17. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, Matthew 5, 18, John 16, 12 through 13, and I'm sure we could have done a lot more references and verses for that, right? Now, why do I want to read this? Because as a community, I want us to see that what we actually believe we try to apply apply in real life. This isn't just a statement of faith. This is something where we actually value speaking words of life, God's word, His final authority. In fact, as a church, as we celebrate 10 years this year, this will be the 23rd book of the Bible that we've taught through these last 10 years. And you know what we're going to have to do after Exodus? Another book of the Bible. (laughs) that's what we do, you know, right? So we're actually going to do a series in Galatians called Living by Grace and study God's grace. We usually do Old Testament, New Testament, and of course there's been hundreds of topical messages in between, like Next Sunday, we're going to do psalms, more singing, going through the psalms, giving thanks. We'll have a Christmas series, 21 Days in Prayer and Fasting. We'll do a series in prayer. And then we'll go back into our uh, rhythm and routine of just going through God's word. We just want to exposit, expose, show you the goodness of God through the word of God because this is how we know the will of God and who Jesus is. And so we don't necessarily worship the God. It's not the Father, the Son, and the Bible. It's the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And the Spirit inspired the Bible and teaches us and points Scripture to Jesus as we exalt Him. That's our mission. This is our worship with our mind. We just sang. We give with our hands, serving with our finances, worship in that way. I hope you know you can worship God because He's that big in everything you do. And so we're just coming alongside this time, because I believe the best thing for you all, and for me, is to be equipped by God's word, to be able to walk through this. I know y'all were giving me a hard time about how many messages these were. Why are we talking about how you're not supposed to sleep with the donkey and stuff? I know it's in scripture, okay? (laughs) But hey, it's in the word of God, and it's valuable. And so we don't shy away from these things. We walk through scripture because it equips us for our heart. And aren't you so glad that God knows what we need? Because our hearts can be deceitful among Things sometimes, and we could we can shy away certain things, and so man, we started this journey back in May, May of twenty twenty two. I have it written down, May twenty May twenty twenty two, and we're finishing today after nineteen months. Now, come on, there has been few breaks. There's been topical,s there's been series. I have been having, you know, we have guest speakers, all that different stuff. But it, it is pretty cool to celebrate, to recognize, right? especially for all y'all that didn't, don't like going through the Old Testament. You're like, yes and amen. Praise God. Let me get a gospel, you know? So this is how the book of Exodus ends, chapter 40. It's the final chapter about how they erect the tabernacle. They celebrate as well, right, being that God is going to show up in an amazing way. the should kind of glory and dwell with the people. And so let me give you a quick breakdown, if you haven't been for all of 19 months with us which a lot of you haven't, that's okay. Uh, The book of Exodus is really divided in three major sections, okay? And so God delivers, the deliverance of the nation of Israel, God delivers Israelites from Egypt and the bondage of slavery. It focuses on Moses, the plagues, and the wondrous works of God in that first section, Uh, chapters 1 through 18. Chapters 19 through 24, we really see the covenant made through uh, God to the nation of Israel and it, on Mount Sinai, and it really focuses on guidance, how God leads. Remember, He's establishing a nation. This is where we get the Ten Commandments, the ordinances, the Levitical law, the system, all that different things. And then, lastly, as He establishes the law, He wants them to live it out. And He actually says, I want to be with you and walk with you and lead you. And the presence of God is focused on chapters 25 through 40 where God gives instructions for the building of the tabernacle the central theme is the sanctuary where God's presence will dwell with his people and we see amazing things like the pillar of cloud leading them and coming and being with them and so it's a great framework even of our redemption how God delivers us he guides us and he's with us and this is something you need to see from the from the sort of 30,000 view of going into what we're seeing because it's the climax. It's, it's a part of the exodus, the leaving, the going of this journey. And it has been a lot. And I want you to know that in the Christian faith, it is a lot. God wants to walk with you through a lot of stuff. And you may have this powerful moment where you say yes to Jesus and your life is redeemed, but there is a sanctifying process where God redeems and has a purpose and a plan and wants to build your faith and give you more gifts and have you grow because it's from faith to faith, from glory to glory that we walk and know with this Lord who redeems and loves us. And so we're we're supposed to be people that worship and respond to this God for his wondrous deeds. Because even Exodus is a continuation of the book of Genesis, the beginning. Humanity, where God entered into humanity and made a covenant with Abraham after sin came in and said, I'm going to do something amazing. I'm going to create a nation. I'm going to have from your descendants, bless the nations. And so God is a covenantal God. He makes promises and fulfills them. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. Genesis chapter 17, verse 4 through 7. He's all reminding Abraham, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And wouldn't you know in Exodus, he does some things. I don't know if God is doing some things in your life, but I know that he's promised to. And sometimes we need to be reminded. We need to be patient. Sometimes we need to know just because it doesn't happen now doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And listen, Christian, listen, believer, this is not the end. This is not heaven. We have a hope, a living hope. And Jesus is alive and he's moving and we can trust him even in our frustration, even in the hardship, our God redeems. Our God delivers us. He demonstrated his love for us on the cross and he's with us. He's given us his spirit. He guides us. He's given us the word and he wants to be with us. Even in the valley I walk through the shadow of death, we should fear no evil because our God is with us. So surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. And we'll dwell in the land of living forever and ever. This is a great hope. This is amazing. We're going to the end of this thing. But there's another book after that. We'll get to that later. All right. So, uh, man, it's fun to study God's word. Remember, this is the same God that we worship. He fulfills his word. He promises to redeem, and he loves us. Uh, A quote that I found through a commentary just to sort of set us up and framework, and then we'll get into the text. It says, At last, the obedient Israelites in covenant relationship with the Lord are ready to set up his sanctuary so that his presence may dwell in their midst. He gives Moses his directions for setting everything up and consecrating it as well as the priest. Moses and the Israelites do exactly as he says, and the Lord's glory descends in a cloud on the tent to show that he is among his people. So, chapter 40. Just to sort of break down, in one through six, there's directions for setting up the sanctuary. 17 through 33 there's the execution or uh, executing the directions from the Lord. And then in the very end of this book, verses 34 through 38, the glory of the Lord dwells with the people. So let's start in this first section as we read verses one through 16. And like we do, we always read through scripture, We'll pray. because it's such a long chapter, we'll just read this first part, pray. And we'll study it together and walk through this last section. Uh, Verses 1 through 16, reading from the ESV, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, praise God that he speaks, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall put it in the ark of the testimony, and you shall uh, shall screen the ark with the veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps and you shall put the golden altar for instance before the ark of the testimony and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle see if you see this is a lot because we actually studied all of these sections in this section in this book Uh, You you shall set the altar, verse 6, of burnt offerings before the Lord in the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. That's another word for the tabernacle, uh, this tent of meeting. And place in the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of court. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle, all that is in it, and consecrate it and all its furniture so that it may become holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and its utensils and consecrate the altar so the altar may come, become most holy. You shall also anoint the basin, its stand and consecrate it. Are you getting a theme? It's saying anointed, anointed, anointed. Then, verse 12, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent, shall wash them with the water and put on Aaron in the holy garments and you shall anoint him and consecrate him. And he shall serve me as priest. You shall bring his sons also and put on them coats and anoint them. And as you you anointed their father, that they may serve me as priest, and their anointing shall admit them to a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. This Moses did according to all the Lord commanded him. So he did. Let's pray and then get into God's Word and continue our study. Jesus, we thank you so much. It's already been rich, the introduction, thinking through, having those muscle memories process of your goodness and your faithfulness of how you redeem. We continue to pray for revelation, Lord. We continue to pray, God, that you would use your spirit to speak through me, to give me clarity, to speak to people. We pray for soil, soft soil of our hearts. That would be the word of God would plant in good soil tonight. God, we pray for an empowering to do your word as we receive your revelation tonight and, and lift you up, Jesus, that you would enable us and empower us to apply your word to our specific life, our situation. And so, God, only you can do this. Only you can speak in such a way where even it goes to people that are listening online and video and in the room. I pray, God that people would recognize how amazing you are being able to do this, even to be able to speak through a sinner like me. And so thank you, God, for teaching me so much through this book, even this week. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. We praise your name. We don't even need music to just sing and cry out to you and praise you. But yet you're a good God and you grace us with beautiful gifts, the Father of all good gifts. So we thank you for this gift, this church, these people, what a beautiful thing of grace. May we have an attitude of thanksgiving and grateful hearts as we enter in this season of thanksgiving and holidays. May we recognize that these are holy days before you. That we don't even just worship you from week to week or a Sabbath, but you are our Sabbath rest, Jesus. And So we enter in right now, we welcome you. Once again, we recognize and acknowledge and praise your name, Jesus. You're here in your, in your church, in our midst. So have your way, do your, do your will, Lord, and We just thank you and we bless you. Be honored and glorified. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, recently I was in a discussion with a few pastors about speaking in tongues into a microphone. This recently happened uh, as we gathered, as we get together with a whole bunch of pastors, and there's theological different camps, and uh, we were calling together, hey, what what does Scripture say about these things? And it led us to an interesting conversation about 1 Corinthians 14, where the Apostle Paul gives instructions on the very subject uh, as he instructs the church of orderly worship and how to handle these things. If there is a tongue, you would interpret. And the church that um, was... This was happening. It was in their culture where there was things were being done out of order. And we were having this private debate. When we gather, what is the point of Paul saying? Because he's saying, I'd rather you speak in five words to edify people. And if you don't do it in order, people are going to think you're crazy. The way that you do things and how you obey and how you set up things actually matters. Not only in your home, but also in God's home. What, what does he say about these things? And so we were having this interesting debate, uh, talk, um, because sadly, some people, because it's done out of order, they just dismiss the spiritual gifts altogether. They say, well, I'm going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But we were trying to say, well, let's not do that. What does Scripture say? We believe as a church that God does use the spiritual gifts, that gift of tongues is actually alive today, and when in place, especially in a corporate gathering, there should be an interpretation. We do believe that God still does heal. And we know this because it talks through in Corinthians, in Romans, in chapter 4 of Peter, all these different things of, okay, what, what does Scripture say for us today? And what is the primary gathering? And why do we do this? But we do know from chapter 14, at the end of that chapter, after all the debate of what this is, and this is this, it says it should be done indecently and orderly. It says that God is a God of order and peace, not confusion, 1 Corinthians 14.40. Now, I bring this up, whether it be whatever your theological debate is on this subject, one, to grab your attention, because I know you're all like, what is he about to say? <laughs> but I also think that it's important for us to understand that structures, systems, and order does matter in the body of Christ. And there are things that uh, government structure, leadership, certain things that the world may debate or say, well, God can't do this or does this. or..." Ha-. And we even in the church sometimes put God in a box rather than in our own systematic theology, rather than just saying, what does scripture say about these things? What about this? What about that? It isn't just what we do, the Bible says, but it's how we do it i.e. the Great Commission. We all know that, pursuing and proclaiming Jesus, making disciples. I mean, however your church wants to say it and churches say it, it's like we all have really the same mission because it's from Jesus and the Great Commission, going to go and make disciples. But we also have a great commandment. And it's not just what we do, it's how we do. And what we're seeing in chapter 40 is God is setting up structure a system and erecting the tabernacle because at this time the people had already done all this work brought all this stuff before Moses and it's almost like a repeat of things but it's not a repeat of things because he's actually coming and setting up structure order decency putting this in place putting this in place putting that in place all these things he's erecting now we just learned one of the systems is people contributed to build the sanctuary we talked about that, about tithes and offerings. Tithes, it's, it's, it's a Hebrew word, it means tenth. Offerings. The people were so responsive of the kingdom of God, of being able to respond to God, that they gave financially what God had already given them. We see this even applied today through God's people, funding the kingdom of God and giving to their local church and ministries to support that work. There is a system of structure. You see, the Israelites, they gave out of their heart of worship. And it provided these materials, chapter 35. These guys that had the Spirit of God, the Spirit of wisdom, the first time it actually talks about a man being filled with the Spirit in this sense, uh, Belzalar and Oholiab, uh, and other skilled people that were appointed by God, they actually built all these things. And Pastor Robin did a great job, which I don't know how he did because I don't do very well. He summarized chapter 36 through 39. Glory to God. I specifically, in my, uh, in my teaching plan, I was like, can you do that for me? Thank you very much. Because y'all know how, how I go. I just can talk forever and ever and ever, all right? Um, but it was, in this text, made orderly fashion which took time. The people gave their time, as well as their finances, as well as their life, to make this sanctuary happen. And this was all worship unto the Lord. And it took multiple people, multiple gifts. Just even when the debate of like, what spiritual gifts? Well, do all speak in tongues? Do all have leadership? Do all have administration? Do all do this? Do all do that? No, the answer is no. We all have different gifts, but coming together, there is strength. There is to be unity in the body of Christ, not uniformity. And aren't you so glad that there are people that are gifted in certain gifts like administration and leadership and then there's other people that are more prophetic and teaching and up front and there's people behind the scenes and like it's okay to embrace all these gifts and what what Moses is doing is using his responsibility, his leadership to organize everything and now he's erecting the tabernacle, putting things in place, organizing, strengthening. And verse one says, on the first day of the first month, First day of first month, this is a time frame to the Jewish calendar where the Passover happened and God said, this is going to be a significant moment in history. Make sure that you go and you start your calendar based off the work I did. You remember the Passover when the lamb was... Uh, the lamb died and the blood was shed over the door, the angel of death would pass over and it was very significant because it brought salvation and it brought redemption and it brought life and it was celebration and it was ultimately a picture of the lamb that we know, Jesus, that shed his blood for our sins. And so this mark in history is about a year after this happened. Verse 1 tells us this. is the first day of the first month. Scholars sort of have this debate, but they practically sing it, and you see Moses going up to the mountain, down to the mountain, up to the mountain, down to the mountain. They, were, he was, uh, they think it took about six months for the people of Israel to be free from uh, the plagues in Egypt. And then six months getting the law, getting the instructions of the tabernacle, finally building, because we're going to see in verse 17, it was the first month in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. It was exactly a year later. So we see it took a long time. Here's another kingdom principle for you as we look at this text and sort of go in the big picture God uses his people here on this earth to advance his kingdom. This is what's happening. All these gifts, all this stuff's happening, but God is making his word come alive through people and advancing his kingdom. He made a nation, he's redeeming it, and they're contributing. Is it God? Is it people? No, it's God's sovereign, but we have a responsibility and we're here working through and they're giving and they're, they're just doing this thing unto the Lord. And I want you to see this because your worship matters. Your gifts matter, your faith matters, your responsibility. God has a plan for your life. God is ultimately sovereign. His will is going to get done, but you can play a part in that. You can give him glory with your life and you can worship and it does make a difference because because of this difference, the, the tabernacle is going to be beautifully erected and people are going to worship the Lord. And it is a beautiful thing in the church of God when the people of God are worshiping, contributing and using the gifts that God given them to reach a community. It's incredible. The Bible says that when brothers dwell in unity, the Lord commands a blessing. And when a church is unified and doing all what they're supposed to do, wow, watch out. God's favor is upon them. And he uses people like you and me to advance his kingdom. And so in verses 1 through 8, God instructs Moses where to place all these pieces. Remember Exodus 39, verses 32 through 40, the end of that last chapter, it says that people brought all these pieces to Moses. They did their part. Now the leader needs to do his part. He had to do his part and lead as well. He had to organize the pieces as God instructed, which shows us another important principle of the kingdom of God through these verses in this final setup. God uses leaders to lead his people. God uses leaders to lead his people. The people now, we've studied about the people and their response, but what about the leader? What about the example? What was Moses supposed to do? It was enough work just to organize, just to place, just to be all about this stuff. Moses had, uh, was told by the Lord, in verse 1 says, God spoke to Moses, and he spoke to the people, and he casted the vision. And I want you to see that was work on his part as well. And then he's bringing all these gifts, and he's organizing, and he's placing. It even says, place the curtains here, do this. Leaders usually see the big picture. And they place people here and situations here and that there. And sometimes you can't see the big picture because you're focused on your gift and your need and your ministry. But leadership needs to oversee our oversight. We have elders over the church, eldership, overseeing what's happening and being led by God and his word to lead people. And I say this because it seems like in our culture, we buck against leadership and authority. Like, it's not cool. Absolute power corrupts. Okay, I didn't say leaders are perfect, but did, don't leaders need to obey and worship God with their gifts as well? And isn't leadership a gift, and isn't pastors and authority supposed to be biblical? Like Howard A. spokes expressed it. So he was being led by the Lord and obeying God's instruction, and personally saw that every piece was in place so God would dwell, like he promised in Exodus chapter 25 verse eight through nine. They were doing their part. Leaders sometimes get too much glory as if it's way different or way better. No, we all need to be faithful to the calling and the gifts that God's given us. And there's nothing better than doing what God has called you to do. Don't try to compare your gift to other people's gifts. Paul would say as a leader, apostolic leader, planted many churches, wrote almost half the New Testament, it's not wise to compare. I mean, he did. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, I believe. He says like, it's not wise to compare with one another. Just be obedient. Moses is being obedient. He's using his gift. And this is beautiful to see because the people did their part. Now Moses is doing their part and the community is about to be blessed. Again, submission to leadership, a trust and following, it seems like those are taboo words in our culture. And you know what? Rightly so. Because many leaders fall. Many leaders Don't walk according to God's word and hear God's voice and obey. But when a leader does, when a leader actually follows the Lord, it's a beautiful thing. And I want you to see that. God uses leaders to lead his people. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. Why? Because we're on the same team. Leaders don't lord over people. They serve people, Jesus said. And I'm so glad as a leader that I don't need to figure it out. That the Lord was speaking to Moses and the Lord speaks to all of us. I need to be close to Christ like Moses was. Just like you need to be close to Christ. And in God's goodness, he instructs us all through his word and how he wants to get the work done in our generation at this moment in time. You know, as a pastor, I often read the pastoral books or epistles. You may not even know what they are. But it's first and Second Timothy and it's Titus. There are a couple more debatable, but those really have uh, Paul instructing Titus and Timothy, their spiritual sons, of how to lead a church. What are the requirements? What are the the things? God has not left us in the dark about structures, systems, orders in the sanctuary and his house. We just don't do whatever we want. We submit to the Lord of lords, the King of kings. You can actually say a pastor is really an under-shepherd of the Lord even when Peter wrote to fellow elders, he said, I am a fellow elder. He didn't even give his a grand authority to, to, to uh, display. He actually gave people humility and said, like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said this, too many sincere people have tried to do God's work their own way and then have asked God to bless it. But ministry doesn't work that way. First, we find out what God wants us to do, and we do it to glorify Him. If we obey His will and seek to honor His name, then He will come and bless the work with His powerful presence. God has given us instructions, authority on how to submit to Him. And He's telling us to rely on Him, His Spirit, and not structures. Because you see in verse 1 through 8, it's a whole bunch of structures. It's a whole bunch of place this here and this here and this. It's like Tetris. It's like little pieces all going apart, right? Just boom, boom, boom. But did you notice in verse 9 through 15 what happens? So after they're in order, what needs to take place? Anoint them. Anoint that. Anoint the people. Anoint the robes. Anoint this and anoint that. Now we know the anointing of God is a picture of the Holy Spirit Coming upon and setting it apart. If you could put all the structure you want in the church, but if the Holy Spirit does not anoint it and empower you to do the work that God has called you to do, you are going to have a hard time. It is not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. I think it's Psalm one twenty seven. You can labor, but if the Lord, if the Lord doesn't build the house, you labor in vain. You need God not only to give you those gifts, but as you give the gifts, not in your pride saying, it's all about me, I need to exercise my gift. How do you edify people and how do you submit to the Holy Spirit and ask God to use you to serve people? So in verse 9, look at the shift. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it and consecrate it, all of its furnitures, So that it may become holy. It was the anointing that made things holy. Not the system. Not the structure. Not the order, the method, or the placement. It was the anointing of the oil. This is very important for us to learn because we in the church can tend to rely on a method from man and not from God. We in our families can do that. We in our lives can do that because... We don't have a lot of stuff under control and we try to be efficient and try to control things through structure and method and wrap our minds around it. But guess what? God's like, I'm gonna blow your mind. Like, uh, you can't figure me out. I'm infinite and you're finite. And so my ways are higher than your ways. You're going to have to trust in me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge me and I'll make your your path straight. Even though you may not see how it's going to get done, I, I can do some impossible things. You, you may think that I'm dead, but three days later I'm going to rise. God does things that only God can do and we as a people need to trust Him to do those things. We need the anointing of God, the power of the Spirit to help us make disciples, to use our lives, our lips, our heart and hands for His glory. God tells us certain methods and methods are, are good, they're powerful, there's nothing wrong with it. We, we actually... Believe in methods and structures and spiritual disciplines like going through God's Word, like singing songs, tithes and offerings, serving people, using your spiritual gifts, prayer and prayer meetings. But our reliance is not on the system. It's on the Spirit. It's on the work of God. And if He doesn't anoint those things and bless those things, those are what in the church call a means of grace. You, you need to pray and ask God to speak to you. You don't just go to the Bible, check it off your list, and move on with your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal revelation, empowering to do it. A heart to serve. Like, when you come before church, pray. Come a little early. Say hi to someone. Take 30 seconds. Before you even sing, God, I'm here to worship you. Would you, would you anoint Pastor Daniel, Pastor Robin, would you help the worship team? Would you give me knowledge and encouragement for other people? Like, God, we need you to do this. Let us remember that it is always God who is doing and does the work. Jesus builds his church and he should receive the praise and the glory. And so he tells Moses, anoint the priest, anoint the furnishings, anoint it all. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit And oh, oh, how the church needs the Holy Spirit to do the work. In our churches, in our lives, in our community, he's the one that consecrates us and makes things holy, not our works. It says the anointing made it holy, separate, special, set apart, not your own efforts. I mean, the people gave and did a lot of amazing things. That's not what made it holy. God loved it, honored it, it was great. But they weren't in a better position because they did a whole bunch of good stuff. They were in a better position because God, who is great and sovereign and good and amazing, anointed their efforts. Consecration means to make sacred, to dedicate to. We consecrate ourselves by giving God our lives. We offer him ourselves, not necessarily even for bad things, but the good things, our time. We we say, I want to set this apart for you, Lord. We can give up. Netflix, religious duties, things in this world that may have value. And there's nothing wrong with those things. We say, I want to consecrate this time or this thing. And instead of doing this, God, I want to present it to you. And the Bible tells us that when we present our lives, the anointing will come. You guys know your father. You know people in this world, even them being evil. They give good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father Give you the Holy Spirit if you ask, if you seek, if you knock. You can receive God's empowering anointing on your life and you can say, God, use me. I surrender to you. Set me apart. I want to live in your divine purposes. Paul would say, this is your reasonable act of worship. I mean, it's a reasonable response for us and the glory and the beauty and all that God did. I mean, you even think about the great contributes of the people giving the finances. How did they even get that stuff? It was like God said, "Tell them, when you flee Egypt, tell them to give you all the plunder. They did that, and they got the plunder because of God. And then they're not even giving all of it. They're just giving some of it back. Like this is just a response of God's goodness on our lives. A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor, a prophet, with a, a prophetic voice in the 1900s, 1900s to 1960s, wrote a lot of good book, books, Knowledge of the Holy One, uh, with the Christian Missionary Alliance, he said this, if the Holy Spirit was to withdraw from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. What about your life? If the Holy Spirit were to not show up, what would be different? Are you following the leading of the Lord? Are you asking him to fill you, to make you holy, to sanctify you, to speak to you, to empower you, to consecrate your life, your time, your finances, your service? It matters. Galatians 5.16 says, but walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the flesh. And so this is what Moses does. He does what he, God instructed him to do. Verses 16 through 33 It says, This Moses did according to the Lord, all that the Lord commanded him so to do. It was in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, and the tabernacle was erected. Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frame and put its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the coverings of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony, put it into the ark, and put the poles on the ark, set up the mercy seat above the ark, and he brought the ark into the tabernacle, set up the veil of the screen, and the screen of the ark of the testimony, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the table in the tent of the meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil, and he arranged the bread on it and before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lamp in the tent of the meeting opposite of the table on the south side of the tabernacle, set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded. Starting to notice a theme here. He put the gold altar in the tent of the meeting before the veil and burned the fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place a screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar burnt offerings at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent and the meeting, offered it in the burnt offering and grain offering as the Lord had commanded. He set the basin between the tent and the meeting and the altar, put in it for washing, which, uh, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed his hands and their feet. And when they went into the tabernacle uh, tent of meeting, and when they had approached the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Moses finished the work. Moses finished the work. He was faithful to do as the Lord had commanded him to do. Now, Leviticus chapter 8 gives us more details uh, of the anointing of the ceremony. But if you notice, Moses did as the Lord commanded him is found in verse 19, verse 21, verse 25, verse 29, and 32. It's a repeated pattern. This is also known as character. That's what a repeated pattern is. You see, you make a daily decision But that decision becomes a habit. A habit becomes character, and character is who you are. Moses finished the work. And this is what God describes that he wants his leaders to have: godly character, continual obedience, Christ-like character. I told you I read this a lot. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. The apostle Paul said this through us about leaders, especially of the church. This saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires the office of an overseer. He desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-control, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach, not a drunker, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for his church, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace and into a snare of the devil. Now, I know you may be reading that and say, wow, well, that's a lot. Because it is. But with the Spirit's empowering, leaders can lead. And leaders can have character. And with the Spirit's empowering, you can have Christ-like character as well. Because an elder is just an example to the flock. Follow me as I follow Christ. And Moses finished. And as we submit ourselves to this type of leadership, one who listens and obeys Christ, Man, we thank God for godly leaders and we see the fruit and it's a joy for Moses who did what God said as this text says, Hebrews 3 verses 1 through 6 we looked at, tells us he followed the pattern and he was faithful. That's what you want. You always hear that, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we want to hear It's a great goal for any leader to do what God's called them to do. And it's a great goal for your life to just do what God's calling you to do. Well, how many times? I don't know, a repeat pattern over and over again, week after week, moment by moment. You're just going to follow God until you meet him face to face. That's what we do. This is discipleship. We don't just believe once. We continually repent and turn and go to God and repent and turn and go to God. And we can because he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Because he did that work. And so we plead the blood. We plead him making us holy and sanctifying us and going to him over and over and over and over again. Because the pattern, the position of the things for the tabernacle were actually a pattern for us to see Christ and serve, as Hebrews 8.5 says, as a copy of the shadow of the heavenly things. You know, because Moses obeyed and brought, because Moses obeyed what God commanded him to do, push, positioned all these things in order, It actually brought glory to God. The tabernacle is actually a picture of heavenly things, of how heaven is set up. And we see the the glory of God and the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God and how incredible he is to to say something 2,500 years ago and know he's going to set it up 5,000 years later and, and this time and doing all this different stuff. You see, when you obey God, you may not even understand how he's moving And how your life will impact not only this generation, but the generations to come. But We obey the Lord. And when we obey God, it brings Him glory. And it serves as a great example. Moses serves as a great example that we can be faithful to obey God's instructions as well. And you know what the results are when you obey God, when you follow God. What does Jesus say when you not only hear God's word, but you obey it? Blessing. What is the greatest blessing? The good news of the gospel. God himself. Look at verse 34 through 38 because the presence of God comes. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. So they were attentive to the presence of God. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Next page, Leviticus. You're welcome. In this moment, God meets them, comes down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, and dwells now, With the people, the presence of God. This was God's desire and prophecy and the reason he redeemed the nation. Text says in Genesis 25, to dwell with the people, to be with the people to walk with them, to lead them. And now the Lord's presence is dwelling among his people as he promised. They came intimately into worship and to serve the Lord and had a sacrificial system to come in. And the cloud went over, filled the tabernacle, and they were to follow the glory of the Lord, the presence of God, to lead them in this journey of the wilderness to the promised land. Remember, this was about what Moses kept telling Pharaoh, let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me. You know why you've been redeemed? To worship God. You were made to worship God, but sin came in and broke everything, and the wages of sin is death, and it separates you from the Lord. You are condemned. You are damned. There is The wages of sin is death and hell is real. But God entered into our situation, made a promise. The seed of Abraham to come and out of his descendant would be a great nation to bless the nations. And Jesus, the Messiah, would come through this people as God promised to save all of humanity from sin. Not only dying, but three days later, raising from life giving God power, victory, strength to us to forgive us of our sins and a hope of heaven, we can now have the presence of the holy mighty God in our lives. For the Bible says that the Holy Spirit now is dwelling in all Christians, believers, people that are forgiven, because we are the sanctuary. We are the tabernacle. Jesus came and dwelt and tabernacled with us, God with us. But as he forgives you, have you hear this and receive this, and repent and turn to Him, you now have the presence of God. You can have an intimate relationship with Him. This is why God redeems, because He does this not because of you, but because of He is, and He loves you. And He manifested that love on the cross and gave us this victory. It is such a beautiful picture of how God wanted to be with His people and continually wants to be with people, for His presence to rely on Him. Just as Jesus came down from heaven to be with us to tabernacle, to show us God's glory, so we see a picture at the end of Exodus, the climax of this book, God dwelling with his people. And just as the presence of God was sent to them in that moment, God still gives his presence to people today. He doesn't dwell in a building, he doesn't dwell in a tabernacle, but he dwells in our lives. And it's through the person of Jesus that this happens. He makes us holy. Because we don't rely on the structure, our system, our own efforts and our own good works. We rely on grace through faith. And we go to Jesus, He actually gets us to the Father and makes us holy. Listen to His words in John 14, 16 through 17. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. God not only redeems us by his blood, but he sends his presence to lead us. He dwelt in the tabernacle, but what happened? Then when the cloud moved, they would move. When the cloud stayed, they would stay. The Holy Spirit is with us, but also what in this life? He leads us. He strengthens us. He comforts us. We're not on our own, but the gospel gives us a relationship with God. And as we come and enter into the holidays and think about that, God with us, what a joyous thing it is. Again, I'll end with this quote. Warren Wiersbe said this, The presence of the glory of the Lord is in the camp of Israel was not a luxury. It was a necessity. It identified Israel as the people of God and set them apart from other nations. For the tabernacle was consecrated by the glory of God, Exodus 29, 43-44. Other nations had sacred buildings, but they were empty. The tabernacle of Israel was blessed with the presence of the glory of God. What distinguished and set God's people apart was His presence, was Himself. Not their own efforts, not their systems or structures, not their behavior or rituals, It was the presence of God. And what distinguishes us as God's people is His presence. Not our own efforts, not our systems, not our structures, our worship style. It's His grace. It's His presence. The series has been God Redeems. And with that, we finish the book. Yeah. Pretty solid, right? So, Laura, you want to come up? We're going to close and take time to just respond. And trust that Jesus can save, and he's coming back again and take communion. And um, to set up communion, go back to verse 17. It just says this, in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. I find that pretty amazing because I was thinking about that. God's presence came on the celebration of the first Passover. This is how they celebrated the first of the month of the first year, the second year. I believe God wanted us to see something special, pretty important, that we can't have God's presence without the work of God first and shedding of his blood. There was a, a cause and effect here. If there had been no Passover, there would be no presence. And if there's no Jesus, there is no Father. He said he's the way, the truth, and the life. And, And Jesus shed his blood, just as that Passover lamb for you and I. And he says, remember that. Remember it's all grace. And you could enter in. He who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so we have our hope and our glory in what Jesus has done. And think about that. When the, the presence of God entered that for the first time, it was exactly to correlate with the celebration of the blood that was shed by that lamb. Isn't it interesting and a weird paradox that we celebrate communion? Look at something so horrific that our sins were placed on him and he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. There was this great exchange on the cross but yet we look with it with a smile because Jesus not only died but he rose again and he tells us to remember his grace, how much he loves us and he's coming back again. And so we celebrate. God's presence came down and they were celebrating but yet they were celebrating the moment at the same time looking at that work. We should be celebrating but also looking at that cross and coming all saying, thank you, Jesus, for salvation. And thank you, God, that you're not done with us. You're going to leave me in this life, and I will see you again because he will come back for his bride. Amen? And so we celebrate God's grace. We want to take communion. We want to celebrate, and we want to look to him. And so we want to invite you to take communion. We'll have the elements in the back. This is for Christians, people that believe and identify in the work that Christ did. So examine your heart. Thank God that it's not based off your own efforts and your own system, your own structure, your own righteousness, but God's goodness. And if you are not a Christian, repent and believe today. Turn to Christ, take communion with us, receive salvation and the love of God for you, and know that you can celebrate his grace with us today. And so we'll let you pray talk with God receive his grace we'll have the elements in those back tables as we sing stand up when you're ready by faith you can grab those elements bring them back to your table and bring them back to your seat and then we'll take communion together Jesus we thank you so much for your grace for your salvation for your love what a blessing it's been what a good time what a what a glorious sacred time it's been to go through this book we're so honored God, that you would speak to us, that you would give revelation, that you would meet us in a real way, Jesus. We, we know the verse when two or three are gathered you're in our midst, but, but experientially, seeing your kindness to us, how you met us and spoken to our hearts, even not only throughout the book, but even tonight. God, we thank you. We love you. We praise you for that. We honor you. We bless you. We want to look to you, Lord, in your cross. Let us be a people of grace. God, anoint us. Sanctify us. We need your help. So we come, God, once again, asking for the forgiveness of our sins. Help our eyes to turn to you, to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And give us the strength. Enable us, power us to walk this life in holiness, purity, and your righteousness and your law. We love your law, Lord. We can meditate on it day and night. So we come to you now remembering the word you said. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, may we remember you in this moment. And may we worship you in spirit and in truth. Honoring you. It's our reasonable act of worship with our lives. It's your name we pray, God. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delaware Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement, it was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you and thank you so much for listening.